giant of limitless power at man's command. And where was it science found that giant? In the atom, a particle so infinitely small that it takes over a hundred billion billion atoms to make up the head of a pin. This is Out of the Basement, a podcast dedicated to radiation medicine. This is Dr. Jason Becta crawling out of the muddy Vermont basement with another riveting episode of a podcast about the most niche, obscure, what am I doing with my life anyway? Today was the ostensible town hall, alleged town hall, by Astro on the proposed rocker payment model. This might be the trickiest podcast I've ever done. Not that I've done a tremendous number of these, of course, but it is really hard to critique ideas and not the people behind those ideas. Probably forever, but certainly now in 2023. Part of the reason I like this format is you can hear my voice and hear how I am hoping that my statements or my opinions are meant to be taken. I feel like text-based formats, letters to the editor, Twitter, student doctor, all those things, is very easy to read too deeply. There's no paraverbal communication. And believe me when I say that I think the people from today's webinar, from Astro in general, I think everybody working on this has nothing but the best of intentions. And I really believe that. And I think that there's been a lot of anger and frustration and whatever word you want to use driven by the pandemic, not just in, I'm talking about in general, it's crazy out there. People are not doing well. And I think we all need to consciously make an effort to be better to each other. And the point of that little sob story, dramatic sort of jump statement is when I talk about these things, I want to, I'm discussing this from the, the idea of the model and not the people behind the model, because by the, the people they included on this, it's very tricky by including a resident or well, a new grad, very, that was a good move, wise move. And it's hard, it's hard to throw stones, which hopefully I'm not doing. So anyway, with that out of the way, I recorded the webinar myself. And part of the reason was, we've talked about this on Twitter, disappointed in the lack of advertisement for such a event where Samir, the newly elected president for the next year for Astro, took it upon himself, as far as I can tell, to talk to folks about it on Twitter, make a post on SDN. Outside of that, I think it was in an Astrogram, but there really was no, I couldn't find, I had to ask Samir where to get this thing, the link. So when I signed up on Friday of last week, a week ago, there were, I think, 30, 38 people at that point. And when I checked right before, I think it was like 228, 230-ish registrants before it started. And then looking through, kind of, because I was checking with the people, I was trying to find a Q&A box, which we'll talk about, but... Looking through, I saw people kind of dwindled off, but I would say 150, 180 people actually attended this town hall in a mix of, I presume, administrators, therapists, doctors. I'm, 
it was, which that's nothing to shake a stick at where you get 150, 200 folks in there. But for something of this magnitude, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more advertisement, but I recorded my own version of it. So I'm going to kind of, this is going to be a uh, YouTube reacts video, not a video podcast, which has never been done in the history of Radonk, which might be, there might be a reason for that. This might be really weird. I mean, it is weird. Let's be honest about that. But what I did was I recorded it myself. I have edited this where I kind of, because the actual webinar was an hour. So I've kind of chopped it up, removed some of the filler words, like the uhs and the ums and whatnot, and gotten down to the meat of things where it's about, I think the runtime of what I edited it down was maybe 20, 25 minutes. So we're going to play clips of the webinar and I'll discuss that and we'll go piece by piece and then wrap it up because really my goal with all this is trying to keep these episodes to less than an hour. It's my honest goal. All right. So the webinar started off after introductions with the, it was basically a rehash of the available webinar of, of the rationale for why to do this. In 2021, Medicare spent $4.3 billion on all RO services and supplies, covering more than 340,000 patients. By comparison, Medicare spent almost as much on a single drug administered to far fewer patients. Our payments under the Medicare Physician Fee Schedule have declined by 25% over the past 10 years, with sharp declines observed for our highest volume cancer type. If I could wave a magic wand, it would be PR campaigns nonstop, trumpeting that data to anyone who would listen to me. And that's part of the reason I have a hard time getting behind any sort of proposal that would inflict further cuts on us. The messaging should not be here, here's a way to cut us, not as bad, just a little bit, just a few more cuts, and at a minimum say, please stop the hemorrhaging. But that's just me. Rocker would address the instability of fee-for-service by establishing a fixed payment rate per cancer type, updated annually according to inflation. Rocker would harmonize payments between hospitals and freestanding centers and level the playing field across different practice settings. Most importantly, Rocker would uncouple payment from fraction number, allowing the physician to prescribe treatment according to the best clinical judgment without the financial penalty under fee-for-service. The case rate amounts are based on M-code payments developed by Medicare as the average reimbursement for each of the included 15 cancer types and are split between PC and TC payments. Payments would be made in two parts. Half of the total payment would be received after treatment planning in the first fraction, and the other half would be received at completion of treatment. Payments would be updated annually for inflation. In order for legislation like this to pass into law, it must show savings over prevailing spending, and Rocker is designed to save Medicare about 1% of all radiation oncology payments per year over the first five years. So one of the things that I am concerned about is that there is nothing stopping the government from, instead of adjusting for inflation, just cutting us again where instead of having to go line by line and chop away at individual CPT codes and while they might bundle 77290 into 77301 and 
they could just say, hey, for this M code for breast, down 3%. We're just, we're going to give you 3% less. Now, I know the response to that will be, well, in the, the legislation that will be submitted, it will say not that. It will say adjustment for inflation, but it's any, anything could happen. And the other part from that uh, I discussed in the previous episodes on, on Rocker, the previous episode, that 1% saving is a, in a world where the average WRVU per radiation oncologist per year is 14,000. But anyone go listen to the, the prior episode. It'll be in the, I think it's two episodes back. But so for a 1% saving, we're all cranking 14,000 WRVUs per year. Practice accreditation would be rewarded with a small bonus over the first three years. And to summarize, fee-for-service can no longer support a healthy radiation oncology specialty. We had engaged in good faith with CMS to address our concerns, but the Medicare RO model demonstrated to us very clearly the limits of what we could achieve with the agency. A legislative approach, while bold, is not without precedent. And we believe that Rocker provides a solid basis for such an initiative. They touch on the accreditation bit in later in the webinar, which we'll talk about then. But there's a small conflict of interest when you're submitting legislation that incentivizes clinics to undergo accreditation that your society is offering. And what is not mentioned in this webinar is there's not just incentivizing that it's not just a payment boost if you're accredited. There's also a penalty if you're not accredited. But the other part of this is, well, he says it's not without precedent. It, it sort of is. Where I, the only example that is pointed to is there's a dialysis thing, and it's kind of obscure, but this there this is unprecedented in that it is a payment model for virtually the entire specialty of radiation oncology across the country which has not been done before. And that they, they use this phrase, I like this phrase, that's a heavy lift. That is a heavy lift. So that was just kind of bits from the introductory part. And now they're going to switch over to statements from the panel, I believe. Let's see. Now I'd like to bring in my fellow panel members for a brief Q&A, and then we'll open up the floor over the last half hour or so for questions from our attendees. We've received at Astro a great deal of question about PPS exempt cancer hospitals and why aren't they part of this program? And join up, I'll punt that one to you. What can we, how can we answer that? Of course, this is boils down to why these hospitals are PP exempt in the PPS exempted first place. And thankfully somebody was able to educate me on this uh, to let me realize that this is something that dated back to 1983 when Congress established an exemption for hospitals that primarily took care of cancer patients. And there were certain criteria that had to be fulfilled. And as of today, there's 11 hospitals that fulfill this criteria. And therefore their payment system is totally outside the Medicare physician fee schedule. So any payment model that affects the Medicare physician fee schedule and the outpatient protective payment system or HOPS does not apply to these hospitals. I don't like that, and I don't think uh, many people who are outside of PPS-exempt hospitals are, but in order for this to change, it's going to have to take place through a legislative process through Congress, 
And so in order to address, this is not something that modifying a payment model for traditional Medicare is going to be able to take care of. With that new knowledge, I was enlightened so that I could have a better understanding of why there was this carve out. It's certainly not intentional. It's basically something that's legal. And so as much screaming as I did about why these institutions were um, exempt, uh, I'm now enlightened as to the reason why. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, is that uh, it takes an act of Congress in order to change this. And it's not uh, something within the authority or the purview of a professional society or uh, any given stakeholder group. I think it's if it's something that uh, the federal government wants to do, it can do it. And it can be influenced to that decision. But it seems unlikely something to change. To their credit, I liked that they gave that explanation. I had assumed that was widespread knowledge, but it's never assume anything. That's what I've always learned. Well, as I always continue to learn it. And so I can't speak for others, but when I talk about the why is BPS exempt, it is more in the theme of it would behoove Astro or any society to have already engaged such powerful institutions to help in this model. And maybe that might be their plan moving forward, but they correct that in terms of the two choices of propose a payment model versus attack PPS exemption, the powers that be, they Astro could not end PPS exemption. The issue being now, and to their credit and their defense, they do address this later on. You cannot say, oh, this would take an act of Congress that's wild and crazy when the model that you're proposing is legislation that would need to be approved by an act of Congress, right? Like you can't, the, the, this is the exact same thing. Again, they do talk about this later on, but I, that can't be the defense would be. And I agree that Astro is not going to be able to get the government to, to end PPS exemption. That is not a reasonable thing. Well, Mike, about proton therapy and about exclusion of those services from this proposal, how should we see that? Like editorializing a little bit. I, I think another one of the reasons I was maybe asked to talk in this panel is like a lot of many other millennials, I'm extremely online and that I've gone through Twitter, websites, podcasts, and I understand. I hear a lot of the issues that people have and concerns that they have about protons being exempted from this model, and it could lead to perverse incentives and sort of business model changes across the country. And I totally hear that. And I think from my perspective, one of the main sort of reasons that protons are, are exempted from this model, and to note they were not exempted from the RO model from CMS, is due to the way that these national base rates or M codes are calculated. So it's a, basically a patient volume weighted calculation. And so if we take purely hypothetical numbers here, if there's if there's 100 patients that are treated for a certain disease site with photons, or, or not patients treated for a disease site with photons across the country, and they're paid $100, and there's five patients treated for the disease site with protons, and those are each paid $200. If you take a volume weighted average, that would come out to a total of $105 per patient. And so people who are delivering with photons might do a little bit better, but photon treatments would take a large hit. And it's those sort of practical issues that led to a lot of the complex adjustment factors in the RO model, hoping to correct for some of those sort of, sort of, sort of huge cliffs in, in financial outcomes. And I think the rocker is really a, a 
a mix of what is ideal and what is optimal and what is really pragmatic and possible to do. And I think we need to think deeply about sort of some of the impacts of these models. But as it stands now, that, that's the main reason that, that protons are exempted, just due to the, the inability to very rigorously understand the reimbursement and due to some of the sort of competitive issues that could occur. So I just tweeted out about this earlier tonight. And the problem with that statement is that from my understanding of the technical documents, that's sort of an incorrect statement at this point. The Rocker model was developed by Wakely Consultants, which is a subsidiary of HMA, which is the consultant agency that the workforce analysis. And if you read through the technical document, how they arrived at the base rate calculations is that they took a look at CMS's ROAPM model and, and tried to approximate the base rates from that. To do so, they took the LDS or limited data set Medicare claims data from 2017 to 2020, that is 5% of all the claims submitted for those years. And it's a lot easier to work with that number, of course, than the hundreds of thousands of other codes. And so they took the 5% the LDS data for those three years and created these base rate claims. And if you look at those actual numbers, they're talking about a couple hundred. So cervical cancer has like 75 cases in that LDS base rate calculation. 10 of the 15 have less than a thousand cases. Several of them have just a couple hundred. And it's hard to tell when the rocker model was developed by Wakely. CMS kind of rolls out the, they lag behind two years on their data dumps. So the, I believe that the 2021 data came out in May. It's somewhere between March and May. I'd have to go back and look, but, and then I think the rocker model started to get worked on back in at least back in February, but probably earlier. But, and so in the, you can run and any, anyone can do this. You can look at the technical document and see the codes they excluded for protons, which is 77522 through 524, I think. Check me on that. It's a 77, it's the proton codes. If you run that on the 2021 claims data, there are 14,000 something beneficiaries, meaning patients who receive proton therapy in America. And if you then run the numbers for the disease sites that are included throughout 20, like all of those, so not LDS, not the 5%, just like the actual raw numbers for the full year, the, there are f many of these included disease sites are fewer cases than protons. It is not a, a genuine argument based on, I could be reading all these technical documents wrong, but if the argument is that there's just not uh, enough cases to kind of get an accurate rate, and that doesn't, that's not true. And later on, they talk about how this is probably going to take years to get through Congress. My main thing would be great if you're looking for feedback and adjust the model. Well, there seems to be more than enough data now to include protons. And if this model is truly what is best for the specialty, then protons would want to be in it, right? And the only reason that they wouldn't would be that it is more beneficial to stay in fever service, in which case rocker is questionable from the jump. But th that point, and that's kind of why I put it on Twitter was, I would love for someone to correct me if I'm wrong on, on my reading of that. When I had emailed the weekly people who actually wrote the, the model and did the data a couple of weeks back before my other episode, no one has ever gotten back to me. I do not think that the argument of, we just don't have enough claims data for protons holds water. But tell me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think one of the main reasons why the RO model failed was what you just say, stated, is that in order to adjust 
for a set of services for which the costs are so outsized relative to other services for same conditions that that Medicare had to apply this, this historical adjustment factor, which did not satisfy the providers of proton services because the payment, even when adjusted favorably, would not come close to meeting their costs for rendering those services and would decrement year over year and uh, further push them away from having a viable service line in proton therapy. And we wanted to get away from all that. I mean, we wanted to not spend in developing this model a tremendous amount, amount of effort of exceptions management. Protons account for about 3% of the case mix in, in radiation therapy, the last full year of data that we have for Medicare. And to strenuously develop a model in order to account for that low level of utilization for that outsize of cost just didn't seem to make any sense to us. Maybe at some future period, there would be a similar model that might be proposed for protons if they begin to feel pain from the effects of hypofractionation. But, but I don't think that period is right now. I think that may be declared at a later time. But for right now, it seems easier to try to organize a new payment system around those services for which payments really harmonize very closely around a mean. But there's not much difference. And I think we have that with this current model. Again, I do think that with the 2021 data and if this does take years to get through the subsequent data, we have enough to calculate for a proton to be included in this or proton base rates or whatnot. But you can't be proposing to put to Congress legislation for reimbursement, Medicare reimbursement for an entire medical specialty, and then use the explanation of we can't do X, Y, or Z because it's too complex. That is not compatible with the undertaking. If this is a huge, a heavy lift, there should not be the response of trying to figure out this particular modality of radiation therapy would be too complex is not the, the juxtaposition of that. It doesn't work quite well, but it continues with a fairly important point here. So a common response to critiques of Rucker at the moment is, well, have you read your practice yet? Have you seen the data for your individual patients? Does this work out? And at this point in the webinar, they, the panelists discuss what the Rucker model would look like for their own sort of patients. And this is pretty revealing for me. So it starts off with a, and these are very large practices. Like I think the people represented here are uh, not necessarily, at least two of them, not necessarily reflective of the majority of the clinical environments that many of us find ourselves in. But so it starts with this. I would say, first off, we did it wrong. The first time we did our initial run at modeling and it was a disaster and it looked like we were going to be down significantly on all but one disease site. And then we figured out that we had some Medicare Advantage plans in there and a couple other coding issues. So I think about our third pass, we got the system working well and for, so there's 15 disease sites, five of those 15 are in the negative. And then 10 of 15 are either net zero or positive. And then if you go over a one-year trend, we end up being 
a little bit in the positive over today's rates, which I think is pretty good, actually, because remember the cuts that we're expecting on the physician side coming down the bend, if we can maintain stability as the managing partner, I'm happy with that. So that response tells me the person answering that has been on government relations for 10 years, very well versed in all this managing partner, very large private practice, three passes to do this correctly. It's that complex or that difficult to, to do. The question then is even what was, how do you know that third pass was correct? But of the 15 sites, five, five of them are negative, but what five? If it's breast and prostate are two of the five, that's a problem. It's a big problem. And negative by how much? 1%, 2%, 3%, 20%. And of the 10 others that were zero to positive, again, how much? Same questions. What were they? How much? And modeling it over the year, there's a slight increase over today's rates. I'm just, I want more granularity in that. And part of that's part of the reason. So I haven't modeled it with my own practice for two reasons. One, I'm in Vermont, so I'm exempt from this. Two, I don't have the bandwidth to kind of be messing around with something so complicated that it took someone with her level of experience, and she later says that she had to tap Ann Hubbard deep, deep inside Astro leadership with a lot of experience to help her with it. That's asking us a lot. So I found that answer concerning. Joey, what's been your experience? I'm in a uh, hospital-based community practice. We, we use both workbooks, the one for the professional and for the technical component. Mm-hmm. And... For the professional side, um, I, we have a little limited bandwidth in terms of data uh, entries. We looked at about 31 prostate patients that we treated, and we made sure these were just traditional Medicare. And we saw about a 1% decrease in reimbursement compared to our fee-for-service traditional Medicare. So it's small. And so one could look at this and say, well, this is definitely a cut. But I think if we measure this based on our historical practice pattern, we were using conventional and moderate hypofractionation last year. And so if we continue to use more extreme hypofractionation, you may say that the stability uh, is actually somewhat of a benefit. So this is just a short-term analysis. My uh, hospital system with Providence Health, and thanks to Mike DeMoss for for looking at this, was able to look at the uh, all 15 sites from the technical side uh, from hospital reimbursement and the reason why they were able to do this is because we were one of the zip codes that were selected for the CMS's RO model. So there's been a little more scrutiny to our, our site. And I actually appreciate that a lot. And so with the 15 sites that we looked at, we saw a small decrement in reimbursement in 11 sites, ranging from 1% up to 7%. And then small increases ranging from 0% to 4% in the other sites. And this was run across about 177 patients that we treated that were traditional Medicare over the past year. Yikes. That was more granular. 11 sites were a decrement in reimbursement from 1% to 7%. And small increases, ranging from 0 to 4% in the other sites, run across 177 patients. And notice there was no sort of aggregate. That's pretty big. And... I find that answer very concerning. Now, the final answer here, I find very interesting given the practice that this person models. And let's see what the answer is. And so what we did was we looked at 
what the aggregate payments would be under fee for service versus rocker for the years 2024 through 2028 for that five year period that rocker has been initially modeled for. And what we found is that our global revenues would be up 4.2% relative to fee for service. But that doesn't take into account trends in hypofractionation and for some diseases, trends in modality shift from conventional to stereotactic therapy where there would be uh, a debt in, in revenue per case. That we just assumed that uh, the way that we treated patients in 2022 would be the way that we would treat them throughout the whole period through 28. And even making that very conservative assumption, which we know is not true, we're going to be using more hypofractionation for prostate cancer and breast cancer and other high volume diseases, metastatic disease. But even under that very conservative estimate, uh, we still modeled uh, a net positive. And that net positive uh, would likely grow to above 10%. I find that very difficult to believe. Now, obviously, an individual cannot influence large corporations or whatnot, but this practice, this is currently Genesis Care, previously 21, 21st century oncology or, or 21C. Those 21C was the subject of a lot of financial issues of trading on the stock market of the largest radiation oncology whistleblower cases in radiation oncology history here. Genesis Care just filed emergency bankruptcy proceedings a month ago. And so I'm not even sure. I don't think any even of any of, of them know what's happening with their practices in Genesis Care. So I find it interesting that the two prior panelists gave these answers where they were very, eh, pretty negative actually, but to, to maybe a, a positive, a, a mild positive. And then for this other sort of corporation that has had significant financial troubles over the past 20 years to come in and say, oh, actually, we're going to be 10% up. I don't buy it. I think that the numbers probably did reflect that. Like, I think that was probably an honest answer. And certainly, I don't think that individual is being disingenuous by any stretch of the imagination. I think those were the actual numbers. But I would be very cautious in interpreting anything that Genesis Care has to the rest of us. So I think I just wanted to emphasize really that this is going to be an, a legislative effort. This is not something we're, we're sending over to CMS to review and send us back their version. We kind of tried that before. It didn't work real well. We tried many times to work with CMS. This is going to be a legislative proposal. This is a huge lift. This is on the order of what's been done in renal centers in that payment model. I really want folks both in academics, in training, in the community, both in the private practice setting as well as employed, to reach out to anybody on this panel or our ASTRO staff, particularly Ann Hubbard um, or Dave Adler, with questions, suggestions, since we've released this, we've already gotten some really great feedback, particularly in palliative care and like bone mets and the issue of treating multiple sites in a 90 day period. We've gotten some really good feedback on the logistics of accreditation and some challenges that might be there. And remember what's out there right now is not necessarily the, the final form. We, we want suggestions, we want feedback and you know, maybe we can tweak some things and make it better. We've reached out to multiple other societies to get their feedback. Don't feel like this is written in stone and you aren't 
involved. We want you to be involved. We want you to reach out. And I mean that sincerely as somebody who's worked on this for the last few years. We're putting it out there for feedback now. This is not written in stone. It's not final legislative language, but, you know, we need help. Opening that statement with this is not necessarily the final form, that amount of hedging, that was a concerning level of hedge for that. I know that she circled back and, and hit it a few more times, but that was, because again, outside of a few individuals, this was a surprise to the majority of us. I think that very few people knew the actual granular details of the rocker model and that very key stakeholders were only informed of it existence, its existence shortly prior to the release for the rest of us. And I think it was very cursory. And I think a lot of us have a lot of concerns over how this has been handled so far and the question of final form and does any of this, so they've got an input, like what, what input, these are clearly sort of pre-vetted, fabricated questions. These are not live questions because there was no Q&A. You know, folks are hoping to actually kind of speak or to type questions live. We couldn't find a, a place to do that. And it, it's, is, it's hard to kind of believe that there's going to be changes based on input. But I, I really, I hope I'm wrong. I really. And so that's the first thing I'd say. And then the second thing is once we've moved past this initial phase and we're going towards the effort of moving this up the hill, this is going to be at least a few years effort in my view. Um, I've been doing government relations with Astro for at least 10 years. I think it's been a long time. And uh, these things take time. If we look at what's gone on with the prior authorization legislation and the challenges we've had on that over and over again, this is not going to be done overnight, but we need engagement. We need folks to not just give feedback, but then if you're supportive of it, reach out to your congressmen, reach out to your senators. If you've come to advocacy day before, let's do it again. If you haven't, you should really try it. It's fun. We're a very fun group, but we really are going to need engagement at the grassroots level. Right. The key part of this, that's the most information about the timeline I've seen or heard. What is the timeline? What is this? When did, you know, this was clearly authored in relative secrecy, honestly. And so now there's claims that this is quote unquote, not necessarily the final form and that this will quote unquote, take years. What is the timeline? What is the next step? So this webinar, so Rocker was released in the astrogram to the surprise of the majority of radiation oncologists in this country. Then this town hall was held on July 21st, 2023 with very little advertisement fanfare. And that was just this one hour thing. What's next? What's next? And I think it would be great if there was more clarity on kind of actionable steps of where is this feedback going? What, when is it going to be taking into a, a legislative version? Like what, what's next? I think we are going to open it up for questions now. And I believe Ann and Dave are going to moderate that. Thanks, Dr. Soleil. Hi, everyone. I'm Ann Hubbard, a Master's Director of Health Policy, and I'm just going to kind of work through the, the questions that have been submitted thus far. And, and the first one, Dr. Soleil, is probably a little bit of an extension on what you've discussed already, kind of the pathway for pursuing um, proposed legislation and, and whether or not there's any receptivity to this proposal on Capitol Hill. So 
I think so far, yeah, we've actually gotten good feedback and people have been receptive. Again, this is not like final legislative language. It's more, let's say, coffee talk right now where we're mm -hmm. like, hey, this is our idea and this is our initial modeling um, and this is why we want to do this. They are aware of the challenges facing radiation oncology and physicians as a whole, but specifically radiation oncology we've been beating the drum on this. So they are aware of the issues. They are aware of how badly the ROAPM went and how they had to deal with it at the Congress level to get it stopped. So I think so far people have been receptive, but again, this is very early stages. Right. Um, again, that would be great if true, hopefully that we are in the early stages and they're kind of workshopping it and kind of the spelling that out of that this is not the final form, this is workshopping things, we're going to adjust things on feedback, that'd be great. The next part here, and a, again, this is a big reason, other than there was no chat box, there was no any chiming in from the audience or anything for this, this next part here is another big reason I think none of these questions were really necessarily real, is that the individual answering the questions is a new grad and authored a paper in a uh, 2021 read journal article about consolidation in radiation oncology practices. I have not heard anyone really talk about this. So I obviously talk about consolidation a lot in other sort of arenas. And I do think it's problematic in some senses, but the, I think the, that ship has sailed where we rocker or no rocker is not really going to have a macro effect on radiation oncology practices, consolidation. And I just find this so interesting as to why this was included and what, how this is germane to the concerns. And I also don't, this is an answer. I think this was just a, a way to talk about the, one of the concerns for ROAPM was when the payments were going to be released. I did not recall. I think they, like there was concerns about if you're going to do brachy boosts for like cervical cancer, if you're going to do external beam in the community and then send to like a bigger center for brachy and who got the payments and blah, blah, blah. I think this was just used as a veil to be able to talk about how the payments were going to be done, but interesting. This next one is for Dr. Milligan. How would the shift to Rocker impact the trend towards consolidation of practices? And radiation oncology is consolidating quick. It's quickly. It's one of the most consolidated specialties in the United States. And so I think that Rocker will address some of those issues. It will certainly make our finances more stable going forward, which can help in the prediction. And, and not having wide confidence intervals in our sensitivity analyses can sort of help not only provide more clarity about where we're going, but also allow you to use your capital a little, little more wisely. The, when you get your cash, frankly, and Rocker is sort of much better than what it was in the RO model, you're paid half of the sum at the beginning of treatment and half at the end of treatment. There aren't sort of onerous withholds and, and true ups that you need to consider. And frankly, I feel like the billing uh, process is a little bit easier, certainly than the RO model, but by billing just an M code with a question of whether sort of standard HixPix codes need to be billed along with that as well. I, I think that simplifies a lot of the, the back end costs in delivering our care as well. To summarize, Rocker stabilizes or, or at least stabilizes our payments and may address some of the increasing costs as well. So I think it will have, it's hard to predict, but I think it will have a, a positive effect in sort of reducing the rates of consolidation going forward. Thanks, Dr. Milligan. All right, our next question I'm going to toss to Dr. Liu. It's two parts here. The first part of the question is, if the federal government has not shown an interest in providing inflationary adjustments for professional services in the last several years, why do we think that they will agree to do this just for radiation oncologists? I think there's a lot of 
inertia and appetite for inflationary adjustment. In fact, there's a bill going through Congress right now to tie Medicare fee for service to uh, inflation. So there's already an appetite for that now. I think right now is a prime time to work that into an alternative payment model when the interest is there. We have a lot of lawmakers that are supportive of the fact that reimbursements for physician services has not kept up with the cost of practice as well as inflation. So that, that would be my answer to that. And I think it will also ensure the viability of community practices that seem to experience the hits much harder than larger integrated practices, which will tie into what Dr. Milligan said, that this, this model could potentially stem the tide of consolidation for smaller practices. That was an incredibly optimistic answer. I mean, I really hope that is the case, at least as regards in inflation and adjustments to to reimbursement for inflation. Again, this consolidation of practices, if you go read that paper, there are only a couple of, I think it's down. And so that paper compares trends of consolidation from 2013 to 2017. So that was six years ago is where that data ended. I have to imagine it's significantly more consolidated now. And there was, uh, I think it was 2017, it was like 605 solo practices left in America and six years ago, pre-pandemic. I'm not quite sure where this is coming from, but I would love to believe that there'd be a, a pathway here to stem the tide on inflation. All right. I'm going to move back to Dr. Mance. A uh, question here about commercial payers. Um, what do you think the reaction will be from commercial payers um, based on the rocker model since they're already decreasing their reimbursements? Any thoughts, Dr. Mance, on how they might react? Yeah, I think, and having gone to battle with them for the last 20 years, I think I can forecast pretty accurately how they would react is that there would be very little change on their part initially as they are loath to change their claims management systems for the sake of something like a new payment model. But in that there's opportunity that Medicare Advantage is the growing part of the commercial payer business. It's not uh, the straight commercial plans. And if in the course of all this activity, if we achieve some success and gain some momentum and can continue to push this forward so that commercial payers that are bidding for Medicare Advantage business and Medicare beneficiary management would be obligated to follow something like this rocker model in order to construct payments for providers with whom they're contracted to, to provide services to their beneficiaries. I think that's the long-term, that might be a long-term strategy, and but not one that we are likely to see in the short number of years in front of us. Even if uh, rocker were enacted into law at some point over the next few years. Maybe we just place put a placeholder out there and we can revisit this discussion, I think, once uh, we gain some experience with this, if we succeed. This is actually a major concern I have about just even attempting this. And because one, there are a couple benefit manager private payers that are already trialing case rate, case-based payments that already is here to these sorts of things are providing a blueprint. So choosing wisely with like breast 3D, for example, or breast hypofract guidelines in 2018, prostate hypofract guidelines in 2018, these things are providing permission or, or cover fire essentially for benefit managers to have their own in-house guidelines to deny certain things that physicians would want to do where quite frequently, I'm sure we've all experienced where if you try to do like a conventional prostate scheme, that Evacor historically would deny you on that now. 
recently because they got uh, so you should always can just deny the or appeal sorry so if you get denied appeal just please appeal because recently the evacuate guidelines got updated where conventional fractionation for prostate were allowed again because what was happening was that it's evidence-based to do conventional fractions for prostate you know while breast it's superior by certain metrics the best you've seen in prostate is non-inferior and so when evacore would deny that on third level appeal maximus or whoever would kick it back and and overturn the the denial my main concern here is that it's providing a blueprint or enhancing something that already exists and for right now let's say a classic sort of thing would be if you try to do 3d radiation with IGRT for bone mets, Evacor will deny it. And historically, and that would be if you're submitting the bone met code, Evacor would deny it and say that you need to do complex isodose or 2D. And they would always deny IGRT. And when you get into these battles about that, you could, there's certain ways, and I haven't had to do this in a while, but there's ways that you could get them to relent on the 3D or capitulate to the 3D, but not the IGRT. And you could break it up like that. And, and so when you're submitting in multiple codes, for a course of therapy, you, you might not win every battle, but you could win a lot of them. And when you give the benefit managers, the private payers, a case, so like if you have a patient come in with breast cancer and you're submitting a single M code, then they can just deny the M code, the whole thing. This is all theoretical, right? But it's a lot easier for them to just deny everything in one fell swoop. Now, the concerning thing is, based on how this is going to go, it sounds certainly like that we're still going to be using the regular old CPT codes in addition to the M codes, because otherwise, how would this work? Like if you're doing these case-based payments for just traditional Medicare, but certain things are exempt, which they don't touch on, like adaptive or whatnot, you're still going to be doing the same kind of CPT billing. It's just giving ammunition to benefit managers and, and various things. But, you know, there I also agree with the answer that commercial Payers are going to do what they want to do. That's just how it's going to go. But that's my concern with these models or, or kind of putting official things out here like this. Thanks, Dr. Mance. All right. I'm going to send this question back to uh, Dr. Sholay. Has Astro already contacted congressional champions and secured their support? Do we expect any opposition or support from hospitals? And then isn't this the same as an act of Congress uh, associated with any kind of PPS uh, exempt effort as well? So I would say it's a little different than the PPS issue in that I don't anticipate a huge lobbying effort against this necessarily versus if we went after PPS, it, it, it would be an act of war in some circles. And again, just like joined that I, I could give me a glass of wine and I can talk about PPS exemption and how it irritates me for an hour solid, but it, it just is a fact of like, that's where we're here. And I don't think Astro has the bandwidth, the money or the strength to fight that. So I think it's different than the PPS. I would just, I think that's a hill not worth dying on for this portion of reimbursement. And again, we're in the very early stages. We've got this out to membership right now and interested parties getting feedback. So we're starting to have our first conversations with our contacts in Congress, but I don't think there's anything really to sign on to yet. And Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. We're just trying to get interest. Again, we may be changing little things here and there based on feedback from the community. So we're not quite there yet, but again, the initial feedback we're getting is positive. Credit where credit is due. I really appreciate acknowledging that you can't 
claim that PPS exempt is untouchable because it's legislation through Congress while then trying to submit your own legislation through Congress. So that's acknowledged there. Again, she hits several times that this is the initial sort of stages, which I really I hope is true. It seems genuine. I don't think any of these people are lying at all, of course. I, I'm i gonna. I'm choosing to be optimistic with, with this one. Great, thank you. And the next question, Dr. Mance, this is about the case rate. This person wants to make sure they understand the case rate tools accurately that Astro produced. Would accredited practices get paid higher under the Rocker model? And the fast answer is yes, that those practices that have already earned accreditation from one of the three bodies uh, would earn a 5% increase on their payments over the first three years. Yeah, I mean, come on. Like, there's... Astro is strangely one of the three accreditations that are going to be accepted in this model. It's a conflict of interest. You're authoring your own sort of legislation that rewards your society's accreditation that institutions' practices have to pay to attain and maintain. And what is neglected to be mentioned here is that there is a benefit for being accredited and, but it's after the three years, so it's not telling the whole truth. There's a penalty eventually for not being accredited. There's a, it's problematic because then you get into the, it's kind of like mock and board certification, that whole world of arguments. But this is not something that is the strongest part of this proposed legislation. We'll put it like that. I've got another question for you here about advanced stage patients. Um, this person is asking about um, patients with advanced stage disease. Uh, any consideration how this might impact practices that see a higher concentration of advanced or complex cases? And there's not a perfect answer for this. What we can state is that, and here we'll just pick breast cancer as, as an exemplar, that breast cancer can be you know, early stage to advanced stage and there's a meaningful difference of utilization of services between those two types of cases under the breast cancer heading. That the rock payment for breast cancer represents a blended average of low risk and higher risk, simple and complex treatments, uh, accounting for the range of utilization of services and number of treatment deliveries and so on. Uh, but your specific practice may skew very heavily in one direction or the other. And if it skews very heavily in the direction of very advanced disease, then uh, there would be perhaps a slight decrement in, in, in the revenue that you might achieve under Rocker than you do currently under fee-for-service. But at the same time, you have to recognize for all the early stage patients that you're treating that the number of fractions will go down very likely as the years go on. And whatever you lose under Rocker, which assumes a fixed utilization, because remember, these are fixed base rates. Whatever you lose in treating that cohort of advanced stage cases, you're very likely to make up for the early stage cases that you're treating and getting paid for, as though you're treating that patient, those patients, with more fractions than you actually are. I'm including this tidbit here because I don't love the appeal to the argument of, quote unquote, it's a wash. Like the question was setting up of, hey, advanced patients, advanced stage patients are more complicated and therefore more expensive to take care of. Is this accounted for in any way? And the answer is no. And the justification is saying like, well, we took a wide range of these Medicare claims payments. And so it's a wash. I don't, not a fan of that answer. Thanks, Dr. Mance. 
All right, for our next question, I'm going to go to Dr. Milligan. Has Astro considered how Rocker will affect care in rural centers and what is expected? What is the expected impact so that there is no worsening of healthcare disparities? This might be an opportunity to talk a little bit about the heart concept that you and I have worked on. And with any sort of alternative payment model or value-based payment model, there are sort of three goals, and that's really to improve quality of care, improve access to care, and to reduce the cost of care. And I think Rocker achieves meaningful improvements in, in all of those lines. In terms of the access or sort of supporting rural centers, again, sort of provides a stable sort of reimbursement rates that will not sort of continue their sort of slow decline, death by a thousand cuts, if, if you will, over the past few years of Medicare reimbursement. So I think that alone will help people. I think the heart payment, as Anne alluded to, is really an exciting concept. I'm including this because at the start of this individual speaking is a new grad who just finished residency and has yet to start work in independent practice. And the statement at the top was that he was not involved in authoring Rocker at all because it was acknowledged that it'd be strange for a resident to be working on this secret model. And then later in here, the heart is like a transportation payment. Ann Hubbard says specifically that it is a chance to talk about the heart model that the new grad and, and she worked on. I hope that means something else. I don't know how else to interpret that. But, you know, that certainly sounds like to me, if she is saying, just talking about the heart concept that they worked on, well, that was in the original release of the surprise rocker model. Maybe one of them would like to correct me on that, but. Thank you. And um, I'm going to toss you the next question here as well. Um, do you think Medicare Advantage plans will be required to um, follow Medicare uh, payment policy under Rocker? Uh, that's a great question. I think as it stands right now, this is just intended for sort of pure Medicare patients. The examples that have been seen in, in other specialties, orthopedic surgery and, and internal medicine specifically suggest that Medicare Advantage and commercial insurers may come in and follow similar paradigms as to what sort of pure Medicare does. So that's certainly a possibility. But I would just like to note that I think bundled payments are happening. There's already tales of sort of limited pilots of bundled care payments being employed across the country. And personally, I feel as a, as as early in my career as I possibly can be, I, I have a lot of hope for the future of radiation oncology. And I think it is better to be at the drawing board and help create some of those alternative payment models rather than be subject to the whim of, of whatever comes up from Evercore or Medicare Advantage plan or things like that. I mean, re- required? No. But are they going to take full advantage of this? Absolutely. Have they already started doing so? You bet. But they, it is correct. I'd rather be at the, the drawing board and, and we'll kind of recap at the end here. I don't want to sound like I'm not against rocker, as weird as that sounds. I'm against secrecy and lack of transparency and engagement. And this is even doing this webinar, this is not engagement. This is not transparency. So the Medicare's, the Medicare Advantage plans, they're going to do whatever they want to do. Great. Thank you. All right. We are close to the top of the hour here. And don't know that I see any other questions in the list here. Any last uh, minute words from our panelists? I really appreciate everybody um, spending your afternoon with us, um, particularly our panelists who took a lot of great questions today. And as was previously mentioned, the webinar has been recorded and we will be responding to all the questions as part of the FAQ document as well. So I'll turn it back over to you, Dr. Shalai. Yeah, I just want to thank everybody, our panelists and 
to be honest, I, I like to admit when I'm wrong. Well, no, I don't, but I will. I told Ann and Dave that a Friday afternoon webinar, we'd have like five people attending and I was wrong. So I think there's definitely interest in this and I appreciate everybody joining on a Friday afternoon. And again, I really can't emphasize this enough that we do want feedback and we want engagement and I can personally volunteer and if you need any help with the modeling, she's helped our practice. I know she's worked with Ciro. Lots of people have been sending in questions, but you know, try it out with your practice. If you can give feedback to Astro, there's a couple different ways to do that. Reach out to any of the panelists on this call, but just appreciate everybody's time. And I think we can all go enjoy the weekend now. Thanks everyone. Have a great weekend. All right. I'm very confused by this. So clearly that is saying that Dave Adler and Hubbard were the ones who wanted to do Friday at 4 p.m. And this is also during the NRG meeting. Like this is a very suboptimal time to do something like this and to assume that there would not be interest. This is something that affects reimbursement for the entire specialty. This is a specialty society trying to pass legislation through Congress, which is just, you can spin it in a way where it's not unprecedented, unprecedented it's virtually unprecedented this is a big deal and i think that this is this has been very strange and really to drive the point home i am not against this payment model and despite the podcast and the tweets and whatnot it is probably a good way to go because this is going to be the era of medicare that we're going to endure so this is like we had managed managed care stuff and PPOs and, and all, I think this will be like the fifth kind of era of Medicare payments as the government tries to hash this out. And then it'll, we'll move on to something else in 20 years or 10, 20 years. This is where the country is going. This is probably a way to stabilize cuts because we've been targeted for a while. And so I'm not against the rocker model. I'm against the secrecy and that this was a surprise to the majority of people, even people really deep within Astro, because, you know, I'm not even an Astro member at the moment. And I don't, expect to be kind of involved in, in sort of internal machinations or whatnot, but even people at the, the most, almost the inner, innermost of inner circles were surprised by this. And I am just continuing to be confused about what is happening here more so now after the webinar. This was dropped in the, the astrogram a couple of weeks ago, surprised most people. And now they're telling us that this is not the final form and that this might take years, but there's no clear timeline. Like what is the next step? This webinar was sort of secretive, like not not really secretive, but it was not kind of really talked about. And there was, I'm left with more questions than answers. That was a, a resident who seems like they were kind of having work on this. And it's weird to put, this is like the first, this is the first live sort of event about a legislative lift proposal through Congress that they have done like that the original release was just a pre-recorded webinar and, and this is what it was and there was no sort of q a and but the the the, the while well, the wheels are off now they don't have to stay off like the the everything can be kind of course corrected but it's that is my concern is that i don't know what the next step is and if clearly where is acro where is the acr where is, who knows about, who actually wrote this? The technical document is from these two Wakely consultants, which they seem to, so it, it seems to be, it was those two Wakely consultants. It was the, the four people from that original webinar. 
which they were here today and then there's two additional ones where was like a dozen to 10 people write this by themselves and it's hard to it's hard to believe that this isn't the final form like I, I think many of us are just confused. I think that's really the take home message is that this is weird. And I, I think there's a lot of kind of concerning things and things that really important things need to be addressed, like adaptive. There is no adaptive CPT code. How can you say adaptive is exempt? How are you going to signal that something is adaptive? You're just going to drop multiple 77301s and then they could be like, oh, great, this is adaptive, this is exempt. What does that incentivize? And and that's really the question here is, what are we incentivizing with these sort of, of things? Because humans respond to incentives. And when you, there's no perfect solution to any of this. And again, I think this is not bad. Like, yeah, we can, and I think this is kind of inevitable in certain ways of this case rate thing. But is is this how we want to go about this? I don't. I don't think so. This is kind of a hot take sort of deal. And hopefully I'm wrong about all of this and we can correct me on these things because I, especially about the proton thing or, well, and the 1% saving. Anyway, I hope I'm wrong on everything. That would be great. And to really drive home point, I think everyone involved in this at Astro has a really, nobody is lying. Everyone has the best of intentions. I seriously, deeply believe that. I think everybody's operating from a, a, a place of goodness, from caring. And I think that gets lost a lot in these conversations and that I, I think that would be returned. I think if there's, there's a lot of faith in the people involved in volunteering at Astro. And I think if that was kind of returned to the radiation ecology community as a whole, and that there was more involvement, that they would be kind of really pleasantly surprised at the outcome of what we can all create together. So on that note, I'm going to go crawl back into my muddy basement and fire up the old sump pump and, and keep on at it. Back to out. This has been a Photon Media production. Don't forget to like and subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to us. Be well and be mom.